surrounding me, let it break at your name still. Call the sea to still, the rage of me to still every way at your name, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, breathe, call these bones to all these lungs to sing once again. I will praise Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. The shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome. Your name is alive, forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name is alive that the shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome your name is alive forever lifted high your name cannot be overcome Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble
storms that we're going through right now, but we don't have to stay there. At this moment, Jesus is reaching out his hand, saying, come with me. But are we too distracted by the waves, by the chaos going around us in this storm? No, you need to fix your eyes upon Jesus. Because when we fix our eyes upon Jesus, we don't sink because we can trust in him because of what he has done by the cross. There is no rival to Jesus. He is the only one who can bring you through the storm. So sing these words with me this morning and believe that you are already past it, that he has brought you through in the name of Jesus. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silence the most of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the God, we are here this morning to celebrate your love, your great love for us in sending your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would confront us with the real and living Christ here today, that you would confront us and that, Lord, you'd give us hearts that were humble enough and hearts that were willing to submit to submit to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to love Jesus. Lord, because as we've just been singing, it is only through Him, it is only by Him that we can know You and walk with You and enjoy You. So Lord, uh, lead us to repentance this morning. Lead us to faith in Christ. And above all, Lord, lead us to worship as we open Your Word. We love You, Lord, and we're so thankful for You. It's in Jesus' name that we continue to worship now. Amen. Feel free to take a seat. Are you in or are you out? Uh, That is the question of exclusivity. Exclusivity uh, seems unfair when you're out, but when you're in, it's kind of nice. 
Um, advertisers talk about their exclusive products. I don't know if you've noticed, but all these new um, online TV services, you know, they talk about their exclusive content you can only get on their, on their service. Um, clubs and, and um, stores have memberships that are exclusive to their, their people only. Exclusivity uh, can seem kind of harsh, but uh, whether it's money or family or property or privacy, uh, there are some things in life that we want to keep to ourselves. And uh, some things, not just that we want to keep to ourselves, but there's some things that we want authenticated. See, exclusivity is not just about being in or being out. Exclusivity is also about being legitimate or not, about being true or being false, about being counterfeit or about being the real thing. Uh, it's a good thing. I think we would all agree. Well, I would, I would assume we would all agree that it's a good thing that you can't walk into a store and purchase something with Monopoly money, right? We want to know that it's the real thing. Um, I think, personally, that it's a good thing that you can tell the difference between Honey Nut Cheerios and um, Honey Nut, um, what do they call them? Uh, Honey Nut Crispy Oats. Or, this is, this is my favorite, um, Fruit Loops and Fruit Rounds, which um, surprisingly look exactly the same. Um, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I think it's a good thing that we can tell the difference between what's true and what's false, what's counterfeit and what's real. Because if we're honest, um, there are things... Uh, much more at stake, at a higher stake than things like cereal or even things like monopoly money. We're talking about things like this. Is the Bible uh, God's only book? Is this the only place where we find a word from God or are there others? Is there only one way to God or are there many? Does our goodwill and sincerity count for something or must we put our faith in Jesus Christ? Um, those are pretty important questions, and they're questions about exclusivity. So I just want to come out right here from the beginning this morning and let you know that um, the exclusivity of Christianity is by far the most offensive thing about it. Uh, but what if for the sake of being non-offensive, if for the sake of being exclusive, um, we changed the message, and we offered a counterfeit, and it doomed us all. Would that, in the end, really be loving? Would that, in the end, really be what we wanted? I think the answer is no. Uh, we've been working through uh, John, uh, the book of John, and looking at these different I am statements. Uh, we're not going to be in John chapter 9, but I think it's important to know what happened in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man born blind. And throughout the narrative, we learn, I think we see two important clues about the fact that Jesus Christ came into a world that was a world of exclusivity. Um, those two clues, first of all, you can see the first one in verse 22. It says this in, in John 9, 22. It says, uh, talking about the man born blind, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. That's exclusivity. And then the second clue comes in verse 33. As the blind man himself, is, he's talking with these religious leaders, the Pharisees, and this is, what he, this is what he says. He says, if this man, he's talking about Jesus, were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And they cast him out. 
out. Where we pick up in John chapter 10 today, you'll notice when we go from chapter 9 to chapter 10, there is no break in the story. Uh, We are picking right up in the middle of a conversation, right up in the middle of a story. And what we're going to see is, how does Jesus respond to the exclusivity of the Pharisees? When Jesus, Jesus himself, sees exclusivity, people being cast out, who's in, who's out, when he sees that in the world, how does he respond to it? Will he respond with a message of inclusivity, or will he have something else for us? So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open to John chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10 together. John 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of God to us today. So when Jesus responds to the the Pharisees, he responds with this, what the text calls a figure of speech, or you might think of it like a parable, and the, the Pharisees clearly don't understand it. And I think that uh, part of what we need to understand about verses 1 through 5 is that when Jesus shares this parable, it is a little bit confusing, but it's because, um, as we've been seeing as we've been working through John, there is no one picture that explains Jesus all in and of itself. And here in this one parable, Jesus is actually two different things. He is both the door of the sheep and he is the shepherd. And so what we're going to do is this week, we're going to talk about uh, how Jesus is the exclusive door to the sheep. And then next week, we're going to talk about Jesus as the shepherd. And so we're going to specifically tune in this morning to verses 7 through 10 and really take a look at what Jesus meant when he talked about himself as the exclusive door. Uh, So uh, focusing on verses 7 through 10, there are three thresholds of exclusivity which we must maintain if we are to enjoy life with God. And so here's our first threshold. The first threshold is this, the exclusivity of the identity of Jesus. The exclusivity of the identity of Jesus. So in response to the Pharisees' lack of understanding his parable, uh, this is how Jesus repeated himself in verses 7 and 8. Let's look at it again. So Jesus Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So here we have our third I am statement in the book of John. Uh, Jesus has said, I am the bread of life. He has said, I am the light of the world. And now he says, I am the door of the sheep. 
Uh, The door is the appropriate place to enter and to exit. The door is the line that is drawn between being in or being out. And so if Jesus is the door, then what is he the door to? Well, this passage says that he is the door to the sheep. And so who are the sheep? The sheep are those who know God and who are known by God. Jesus is literally saying, if you want to get to God, you have to go through me. Uh, In the year 451, um, 451 AD, the global church got together and they had a discussion about Jesus. And this is the question they were asking. They were asking, who does Jesus have to be to save us? Not necessarily what he did, but who, who does he have to be to save us? And this is what they said. They said that Jesus is at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time of one substance with us with regards his manhood, like us in all respects apart from sin, as regards his Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages, but yet as regards his manhood, begotten for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer, one and the same, Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. Only Jesus can be the door of the sheep between God and man because only Jesus is both at the same time God and man. The door between sinful man and between holy God is a person. It is a person whose name is Jesus who possesses in his one person both the divine nature and the human nature, bridging the gap between holy God and sinful man. And maybe you say, well, that sounds kind of crazy. Well, guess what, guys? That is Christianity. I don't know what you've heard somewhere else, but that, that in fact, that is Christmas. You know why we have all this place decorated? You know what we're celebrating? We're celebrating the fact that when God so loved the world that we just sang about, the eternal Son of God came down and took on flesh that in the one person of Jesus Christ, God and man dwelt together. And that's the good news of Christmas. That's what we're celebrating about. That's what we're getting excited about over these next few weeks. It's because God has sent us an exclusive Savior in the person of Jesus Christ. I know that many of you have either maybe, maybe been on mission trips or maybe you've traveled around the world and you've um, learned that at times you have to uh, communicate with someone else through a mediator, through a translator. Um, I know that uh, one time I was in El Salvador and um, I was walking up to try to get, to, to get on my plane and I was kind of getting up close to the gate and all of a sudden this lady stopped me and she was speaking really loud and really fast and I had no idea what she was saying. And all of a sudden she t- takes my passport out of my hand and starts walking away. And I, and I start kind of like, you know, talking back to her in protest and guess what? She didn't even turn around because she couldn't understand me. She didn't speak English and I didn't speak Spanish. And the only way that I was going to get on that plane is for someone who spoke both languages to step in and be able to mediate the conversation between the woman who spoke Spanish and me who spoke English. And obviously, I am here today, which means that the mediator did his job well. 
The mediator who spoke Spanish and English was able to bridge the gap. And Jesus Christ, now listen guys, I'm gonna, I'm, I know that if you, if you push this too hard, there's a heresy there. I promise, any, any analogy for the incarnation, the one person with two natures, it breaks down somewhere. But we have to understand that the only way for us and God to come together is to have someone who was both man and God, one and the same, Lord Christ Jesus. And so uh, if Jesus and Jesus alone is the door of the sheep, then we must beware of what I would call counterfeit doors. Counterfeit doors. A counterfeit door is anything that promises to connect us to God, anything that um, puts itself forward as a door to heaven. Um, so, for example, um, all the other major religions of the, of the world offer a false door that essentially amounts to living a life that allows you to connect up to God. But Christianity alone, in Christianity alone, God comes down. God sends the door to heaven down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. But I think that um, we have to be careful because it's not just other religions that potentially offer these counterfeit doors. Um, some people treat a church building like a door to God or something like baptism or the Lord's Supper as a door to God or maybe getting on a plane and flying over to Israel as a door to God. Guess what? I'm here to tell you. Israel's an awesome place. I would love to go there one day, but you are no closer to God in Israel than you are in uh, Los Angeles or, or Las Vegas. God is only found through the door of Jesus Christ. That means there's not another person in your life. Uh, your pastors, God, we are not the door to God for you. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but um, the Pope has a Twitter. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, I didn't know if you knew that. I found that out this week. The Pope has a Twitter. And if you look at uh, what the Pope's Twitter handle or his name, like what he calls himself on Twitter, is a word that uh, is called a pontifex. If you, look at, if you look at his Twitter, it'll say pontifex. Pontifex means a bridge builder or a bridge maker. In other words, popes for hundreds of years now have been claiming that they are a bridge between God and between people. Guys, guess what? I'm here to tell you, there is a pontifex, but his name is not the pope. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the only bridge. He is the only bridge maker between God and between man. But listen, listen, listen. It's really easy for us in this room to point out to, to the Pope or something like that and, and say, oh, how, how foolish are they to think that a man can stand between them and God. But guess what, guys? We do the same things. We live in a culture, in fact, that has gone so far in the other extreme to say that there is no need for a door. That you and I can just uh, carry God around in our pockets like he's Siri and just say, you know, you know, hey, Siri, help me. And then, you know, sometimes we just, you know, want, want to pull him out or put him away. And we, we think we can just run into his presence anyway, anyhow, any, any, any time we want. We have so far run in the other direction that we think that we need no door. We think that there is no reason that, that there's a barrier between God and man. And once again, we find that there are so many counterfeit doors the, the, the counterfeit doors are endless, but there's one, one true door, and his name is Jesus Christ. So the first threshold of exclusivity, which must be maintained, 
is the exclusivity of the identity of Jesus. He alone is the door of the sheep. But there's more. Um, the next threshold which we must maintain is this. The exclusivity of the participation in Jesus. The exclusivity of the participation in Jesus. Uh, it's one thing for Jesus himself to be the exclusive door, but now we must ask, do all people benefit from Jesus? Or is participation in Jesus something exclusive? And let's, let's look at verse 9. Jesus repeats again. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So there's a number of things I want us to see in verse 9. First is the word if. Uh, if is a word of exclusivity. If draws a line. If puts conditions on things. You can enter Costco if you have your identification card, right? You can be a part of our club if you pay your dues. If is a word of exclusivity. But notice, second of all, the second word in verse 9. If anyone. Anyone is a word of inclusivity. Any word is an open, anyone is an open invitation. Anyone means everyone. It draws no lines. Anyone has no conditions, and it has no prerequisites. So uh, the if, the exclusive if, is for anyone. It's for any one of you in this room, rich or poor, male or female, slave or free, Jew or Greek. It's for anyone, if anyone. Now third, Jesus says, if anyone enters by me. So this invitation is open for all. This invitation uh, is not exclusive to any one type of person. But the way we experience participation is through Jesus. It's by entering through him. All who are included come by him and him alone. And all who come apart from him will be finally and forever excluded. But notice one more thing here about verse 9. Jesus introduces a new category into the conversation, something new in the text here. He says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So he tells us what participation in him means. Participation in Jesus means salvation. So what does Jesus mean when he talks about being saved? Um, I wonder if we were to go around the room and ask the question, what is our biggest problem in the world today? Uh, I wonder how many different answers we would get. I'm sure that there would be um, as many answers as there are people in the room. But the Bible's answer to the question about what the biggest problem of our world is today uh, is that the biggest problem in our world today is us. That we have rebelled against God. That we have turned our backs on Him. That we have thought that we are wise enough to navigate life without His wisdom. And that is what the Bible calls sin. And while, while sin has many problems, there's many things that go wrong in the world because of sin, the greatest problem that occurs from sin is that it creates enmity between God and between man. In other words, in our sin, we are uh, over and against God, and God is over and against us. So I want you to think about it. 
You know, if you were God, what would you do? How would you respond if the people that you had made had turned their backs on you and rebelled against you and, and hated you and tried to live their lives without you? You know, when, when somebody treats you that way in your own life, you know, when somebody belittles you or when someone turns their back on you or someone starts talking bad about you, I mean, how do you typically respond when, the, when those kinds of thing ha- things happen? But what did God do? What did God do? God sent His Son into the world to take on our humanity. He died a sinner's death. He took the curse and the condemnation for our sin upon Himself so that He could bring us back to life. That's the story of Christmas. That's the good news of the Gospel. Think about it in terms of this image of the sheepfold. Um, Jesus is asking, He's inviting us to enter in through Him and we will be saved. The reason that sheep needed to come into the pen is because there was danger outside the pen. That if they had been left outside the door, they could have been snatched up by a thief or devoured by a wolf. And you and I need to know today that the most unsafe place to be in in the world, the most unsafe place to be in the world is outside of Jesus. The most deadly and dangerous place to be in the world is to be outside the door, who is Jesus Christ. So if it's true that participation in Jesus, while open and it is an open invitation to anyone, it is exclusive, then we must be, like, like we need to be careful about counterfeit doors, we also need to be careful about counterfeit instructions. Counterfeit instructions. Counterfeit instructions are false teachings about how to enter the door. Um, I don't know if any of y'all, I'm sure that y'all have all put together something in, in your house before that you ordered online, they shipped it to your house, it comes in a box, there's instructions, and you're supposed to put that thing together. And you know how frustrating that can be. You know how frustrating that can be with the right instructions. Now imagine ordering a bed, and they send the box in the mail with all the parts, and the instructions that they send are actually instructions on how to build a table. Imagine trying to build that bed with with the instructions for the table. You might have all the right supplies, and in one sense, it's not like there's anything wrong with the instructions on how to build a table. It's just not going to help you build a bed. And so many times that is what we do. I think as we see this, it's almost like the first category, the exclusive identity of Jesus, is is a conversation for for outside the church. But this conversation about the counterfeit instructions, this is a conversation about us inside the church. That sometimes we take the good things that God has given us, but we apply them to how to enter through the door. And when we use the wrong instructions... It ends up spoiling the whole thing. And, and, and let me show you what I mean by that. Here's a, couple, here's a couple ideas of what I mean by false instructions. False instructions, for example, include the, the lie that everyone will be included in participation with Jesus. People say, oh yeah, sure, 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 of course, you know, Jesus saves us, but Jesus is going to save everybody. If we follow those counterfeit instructions, we will be separated from God forever. And we will uh, be the cause of other people being separated from God forever. Here's another false counterfeit instructions that I think are included. Uh, It's the idea that the people who are included in Jesus are those who try really hard. 
They try really hard to live a good life. They try really hard to be a good person. They try really hard to love everybody in their life. If those are the instructions that we follow to enter through the door, we will be separated from God forever. Another uh, counterfeit instruction that I, think, um, ha- that, that I think comes up a lot of times in the church is the lie that if we just make amends for the bad things that we've done in our lives, then uh, we'll have a participation in Jesus and we can come in and have a relationship with God. I think what this gets right is that, that we have sinned, we have done some things wrong, and it is important that we make amends with people in our lives for the things that we've done to them. But what it fails to take into, the, to, into account is that we could keep making amends for forever and it would never make up sin against an infinitely holy God. Infinite Infinity, it goes on forever. If all it was was just making amends for the bad things that we have done, then our amending would have to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. If we follow these counterfeit instructions, we will be left out, separated from God forever. There is only one set of instructions that will mean participation in Jesus Christ, and it's right here in verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. You must enter by Jesus Christ. You must receive and rest on him for your salvation and your righteousness before God and him alone. But I do love, I do love how the metaphor that Jesus decides to use, you know, as Jesus comes up against the exclusivity of the Pharisees, they're kicking people out of the synagogue. And when Jesus chooses to respond with his own terms of exclusivity, don't you love that the the image that he uses is a door? You know, he doesn't say, you know, if you climb my mountain range of righteousness, you know, if you can run up to the top of my stairs of godliness, if you can make it through the obstacle course of, of holiness, then you'll be saved. No. Jesus says, I'm the door. If you enter by me, you'll be saved. Um, I would bet that when you walked in the door this morning, uh, none of you got down into your power stance and uh, worked your way you know, through the door. Uh, none of you got a big running start and jumped over the threshold because you knew it, was gonna, you know, it might trip you up. I didn't see anybody walk up with their, their checklist of the things they had, they had done this week and said, excuse me, door holder, uh, I have uh, read my Bible this week, I have helped someone this week, and I have loved my wife this week. Uh, am, I, am I free to enter? No. Jesus is a door. <laughs> he's exclusive, but he's a door. And what does it take to enter a door? It takes one honest step of surrender. Everybody in this room is either in or out. You're either on this side of the door or you're on that side of the door. And I just want to be really clear with you this morning. The instructions from getting, for getting from one side to the other is not about how hard you try. It's not about how many amends you think you can make. It's not about going back into your life and trying to fix all the things that you've done wrong. Taking the step from in or from, excuse me, from out to in, is just one honest moment surrender where you say, Jesus, I need you. Come, make me new, cleanse me. I'm yours. That's all it takes. There is no mountain range to climb. There are no steps to run up. 
There is no threshold to, to leap over. Just one step. Here's the door. I pray this morning, if you're out, I pray, pray you'll take that one step in. So we've seen that Jesus has an exclusive identity, and I think, I hope you've seen now that while the uh, participation in Jesus is exclusive, it is also open to anyone. If anyone enters, he will be saved. But we have one more thing, and I, and I think this is um, really, really important. You know, if you're, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, okay, what's the big deal with this Jesus stuff? What's the big deal with this whole enter, entering in the door stuff? Why does it matter? I think Jesus answers our question uh, with our third threshold, the exclusivity of the purpose of Jesus. The exclusivity of the purpose of Jesus. John 10.10, 10, last verse that we're going to look at today. We'll, we'll pick right up in the next verse next week. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's here that we learn the, what the exclusive purpose of Jesus is. This is why He came. This is the meaning of Christmas. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. The thief which comes to steal and kill and destroy is anything in your life that promises you the abundant life that is not named the Jesus Christ. The thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy is anything in your life that promises to give you the abundant life that is not named Jesus Christ. You are advertised to, you are tempted, you are enticed to find life through all sorts of counterfeit doors and all sorts of counterfeit instructions and all sorts of counterfeit promises. And yet none of them truly deliver. So we have to think about these counterfeit promises. Um, if, you think about any, if you think about it, anything can serve as a, a counterfeit promise to true life. Um, every new iPhone arrives with this promise, I came that you might have life abundantly. Every new baby product, and apparently there are millions of these new baby products that these people are making, they come, Mom, I came that you may have abundant sleep. Every new uh, retirement plan and retirement option, it comes promising the same thing. I came, I was born into this world that you might have abundant life. All these things make these promises because they know that we were made for life. We were made for abundant life. We all want it, but they never deliver. These counterfeits that we fall prey to, when they promise abundant life, what they actually deliver is the abundantly selfish life and the abundantly foolish life. But Jesus, he isn't just offering us more of the same. Um, Jesus, this morning, is offering us his life, which comes down from above. And so I just want to spend a few minutes 
And I just want to lay out what abundant life really looks like. Um, I've heard this verse my whole life. I've um, heard people talk about the good life and abundant life um, since I can remember. But I just want to spend a few minutes in just unpacking what is this abundant life that Jesus brings? What is the life that comes down from heaven and is offered to you today? Well, first, the abundant life is the wise life. It is the ability to have the very wisdom of God poured down into your experience. It is your ability, it is the opportunity for you to see life the way God sees it. Uh, The abundant life, I mean, excuse me, the wise life is in contrast to the foolish life, the life where we never actually get, get anywhere past our own intuition, our gut feeling. That's it. That's, that's as high as it gets with the foolish life. The foolish life leaves us bewildered, wondering how in the world did we get here. When Jesus said, I came that you may have life, he was inviting us to enjoy the very wisdom of God as our wisdom for our lives. But the abundant life is also the righteous life. It is the ability to love what God loves, to hate what God hates, and to live with a clean conscience and a pure heart. The righteous life is in contrast to the sinful life, the life where we constantly feel guilty, where we sear our conscience, and we're, we're, we're always finding some place that we have to shift the blame off onto. That kind of life, guys, is, is really tiring. It's really, really exhausting. But when Jesus came and he said that I came that you may have life, he meant to say that we can now walk in new paths of righteousness where we get the clean conscience and the pure heart that we really all do desperately long for. The abundant life is also the meaningful life. It is the ability to find real and lasting purpose through the mundane, through our suffering, and even through our successes. I mean, guys, come on. Coastal Carolina, are you kidding me? But you know what? The reality is, outside of Jesus, it's just vanity of vanities. Like, like as cool as that is, you know how sad it is that that will literally be like the highlight that will be the best thing that some people ever experience is a, is a football victory. But when Jesus said that he came that we may have life and life abundantly, he meant to say that he could change the things that seem mundane, the suffering in your life, and even the good, exciting graces of God in your life into things that actually have eternal significance. That life can really mean something. The abundant life is also the powerful life. It is the ability to have God's own strength poured out into our lives. It's Him doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. The powerful life is in contrast to the self-sufficient life. The life where our own abilities and our own ideas are, are as far as we can go. The self-sufficient life makes us proud and insecure. Isn't it weird how those two things can go together? 
can be so proud and so arrogant and yet so insecure. When Jesus said that he came that we might have life, he means to say that we could have the very power of God at work in us and through us and among us. The abundant life is also the free life. Is the reality that in Christ we are free from the presence and the power and the penalty of sin. That we are free from always ever just doing what the world around us says that we have to do. We are free from the tyranny of Satan. This free life is in contrast to the constrained life. I mean, imagine a life where you only ever do what is sinful and what the world around, around you tells you to do. But when Jesus said that he came that we may have life, he means to say that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The abundant life is also the content life. It is the ability to have all of our needs and desires met in God's very person, to need nothing, to lack nothing, to crave nothing, to miss nothing, to desire nothing except for more and more of God. The content life is in contrast to the anxious life, the life where we're always sort of wondering what's around the horizon. We're always wondering what monster is going to get us next. We're never quite okay with the lot that God has given us in this life. There's always something more. There's always some next level. There's always something that we're just always reaching for. And when Jesus came and said that he came to give us abundant life, he means to say that we can find peace and rest for our weary souls. I know for certain there are some weary souls in this room. And Jesus is saying, come to me, I'll give you rest. The abundant life is also the spiritual life, not the lowercase spiritual life, but it is the Holy Spirit life. Jesus Christ sends his own spirit to come and live with those who enter by the door. And this Holy Spirit is there to, to teach them and to guide them and to comfort them and to convict them and to empower them. The Spirit of God, this is what the Spirit of God is doing in your life. He is forming the very character of Jesus Christ in you. Oh my goodness. And this spiritual life, this capital S Holy Spirit life is in contrast to the life of the flesh the life where selfishness and aggressiveness and worldly ple pleasures rule our hearts and our lives. The worst thing in my mind about the life of the flesh is that it leaves us surrounded by a slew of broken relationships. But when Jesus came telling us that he came to give us life and life abundantly, he means to say that through him, we can walk by His Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. But finally, and I think most importantly, when you think about abundant life, this is what I think you ought to, to have in your mind. That the abundant life is the communal life, is the life lived in fellowship with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and it is life lived at peace with ourselves and with others. The communal life is a life of meaningful relationship, 
first and foremost with the God who made us and then cascading down into every other relationship that we have. The communal life is in contrast to the lonely life, <laughs> the life where it is, it's me against the world, you know. Having been made for relationship with God, the lonely life slowly but surely dismantles everything good and everything healthy that we need to survive. But when Jesus said that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly, he means to say that we can enter a relationship and have fellowship with the creator of the universe, the triune God who made us and loved us and saved us. And out from a relationship with him, we can begin to mend the other relationships in our lives and to revive the broken friendships and the broken relationships and to honestly enjoy community and union with God and with one another. That is the abundant life. And you know how I know that these things are the abundant life is because it does not matter whether you are rich or poor, slave or free. It does not matter what kind of job you have. It does not, not matter where you live in the world. It does not matter whether you are in prison or whether you are in your home on your couch. This abundant life is for anyone who enters by the door. All other offers are counterfeit offers. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Uh, my favorite scene from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress actually comes at the very uh, beginning of the book. Uh, it's a scene that regularly comes back to my mind again and again. Um, the scene is... Um, the main character leaving the city of destruction. And it's actually really sad because in leaving the city of destruction, he's going to be leaving behind his wife and his children who do not want to come with him. But his, his wife and his children, they sort of represent these counterfeit doors and these counterfeit instructions and these counterfeit promises to life. And so this is where uh, Bunyan leads us in, in the Pilgrim's Progress, right at the very beginning. This is what it says in one of the first few paragraphs. It says, now he had not run far from his own door, but his wife and children, perceiving it, began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, life, life, eternal life. So he looked not behind him, but fled towards the middle of the plain. And I think that the reason that this passage at the very beginning of the Pilgrim's Progress um, just comes back to me again and again and again is because I feel the allure of the counterfeit promises to life. I regularly feel the, the, the counterfeit doors and the counterfeit instructions and the, the counterfeit promises alluring me and saying, come back, come back, come back. And so every once in a while, I like to just imagine myself like, like this character, just plugging my ears and saying, life, life, eternal life, and just running the other direction. And I know, I know this morning there are those of us here who need to join this character we need to plug our ears to all the things that are grabbing at us, all the things that are promising us life again and again, and all they're delivering is the more selfish life, the more foolish life, the more empty life. We need to plug our ears and keep saying life, life, eternal life, and never look back. I pray, I pray, I pray today that whether you are maybe for the first time stepping through the door, or whether you're here today and you're distracted and you've been pulled away 
from the only one true thing that gives life, I pray that you'll go running through that door this morning, not looking back, feeling the wonder and awe of a life with Jesus. Life, life, eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, I know that I feel in my own heart the offensiveness of the exclusive claims of Jesus. God, I feel my own excuses about why I've sought life in other things, about how hard I've tried, about how many times I've tried to start again and again and again. Lord, I know, I feel it. So I just pray that by the power of your Spirit, set us free this morning. Set us free from our pride and lead us into your pasture, Lord, where we find life and life abundant. I pray, Lord, that this church and the people here this morning, God, that we would love that you've given us Jesus, that we would love that you'd sent your son to save us and that it would be the one determining factor in our lives forever. It's in Jesus' name that we continue to worship. Amen.